Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Word of God for our consideration this Sunday is our second lesson, 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 21, as printed in your bulletins and already read. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus wants you to have the good life. There. I could have made that, rather than just the good life, the theme of this sermon. It's true. It actually is. But if someone had read all of that in the bulletin or email, they could have too easily ended up with a, a false impression of what the message would be. Because there are plenty of preachers and hucksters who would have no problem telling you that all that sin and grace stuff, all that suffering and death, cross and tomb stuff, is a a distraction from what you really want your religion to be about. Getting rich so that you can have the good life. Many of those preachers make it easier for you to accept this message by by demonstrating it in their own lives. Fancy suits, expensive cars, extensive vacations at high-end resorts, sometimes even private planes and palatial mansions. And they usually count on their followers not quite making the logical connection between the good life that the leaders are living and the give the church your money to make God bless you message that they repeat every week. But you do not have to listen to those purveyors of what is called the prosperity gospel to be told that the way to the good life is through wealth. That's pretty much the default position of most human societies and what experience tends to show us. When you define the good life as living in the lap of luxury or at least as having the ability to to do what you want to do instead of what you have to do, as, as being served instead of serving, as having the best of everything, as having vacations whenever you want, yell, yeah, you pretty much have to be rich to have such things. And it is going to feel very good to be that rich and have that kind of life. And so people invest themselves in in all sorts of efforts or schemes to get that for themselves. Some, yeah, some simply choose hard work. But, you know, many who are aiming for an easy life find that distasteful. So the world is full of get-rich-quick schemes, multi-level marketing scams, lottery sales, and, and gambling. And movies and TV shows constantly underscore this message that the good life is to be had by having wealth. Advertising of all sorts is perhaps the worst offender of all because it is always telling us that our lives would be so much better and so much easier if only If only we bought this product. If only we could afford that service. So, get some more money so you can have those things. So it is 
no surprise, that this idea gets absorbed and adopted by Christians, by fellow church members, by you and by me, because we live in this society. This idea that the way to the good life is getting and staying rich. And the thought then often follows that once you have arrived there, well, it must be because you you deserve it somehow, more than everybody else, because after all, wouldn't everyone be enjoying a life of wealth and comfort if everyone were basically equal? Things were really no different with the believers that Paul and Timothy were dealing with in their age. In fact, they were probably worse because the difference between the rich and everybody else was so much more pronounced. And if you were not wealthy then, you likely enjoyed very few things associated with the good life. No leisure time, no luxury goods, no being waited on, no fashionable high clothes, high class entertainments, or um, fancy homes. And so as Paul closes out his first letter to the young pastor Timothy, he makes sure to address this attitude because it is not good and it leads away from Christ. He writes, Instruct those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant or to put their hope in the uncertainty of riches. Now, one of the phrases there might seem kind of insignificant, but it actually makes the apostles' point very pointedly. He refers to those who are rich in this present age. Everyone who has worldly wealth, even the Warren Buffetts and Bill Gateses of the world, everyone has it only for this life. The old saying, you can't take it with you, has persisted because it's true. Death is the great leveler. And on the other side of the grave, or the judgment when Christ returns, there will be no difference between the rich and the poor. So thinking that wealth should define you, or seeing the pursuit of it as the purpose of your life, well, well that's the ultimate form of short-sightedness and failure to plan ahead. But even in this life, it's not wise to put your trust in earthly riches because, Paul reminds us, they are uncertain. Stocks can lose their value. Cash can lose its purchasing power with inflation. Disasters or poor management can destroy property. And gold, silver, and precious gems can be lost or stolen. And all of these things can happen in just a day. So don't be arrogant, thinking that you deserve what you have and that it makes you better than others. And don't put your hope in the money and property and investments that you have gathered to yourself because there is nothing there to hold on to. Nothing permanent, nothing of lasting value, nothing worth holding on to for eternal life. Instead, put your hope in God and in Him alone. He, after all, is the one who gives whatever wealth you have. We might think of a 13-year-old boy going through a growth spurt. 
If his hope for food to satisfy his cravings is based on the refrigerator and pantry always being full, that's a misplaced trust. Instead, his trust and thanks should be given to his parents who work to provide that food and stock it where he can find it. In the same way, all believers will recognize that our confidence and comfort are not to be found in the abundance of our blessings, but found instead in the love and faithfulness of the Lord who blesses us abundantly. Now, of course, there is a more important reason to not put one's hope in riches, whether we're talking about the riches that we have now or the riches that we are striving to gain. It's that no matter how good it may make our seem our life seem, wealth cannot save us from our sins. And we are sinners. It's very tempting, very common, to think that having more and enjoying more will, will calm our consciences and, and make us feel better about the guilt that we carry but neither escape into excesses nor donations to charity can actually remove the stain of the things that we have done wrong and the things that we have failed to do right. The offense of our disobedience remains as an obstacle between us and God. And and any thought that we can use earthly wealth to gain His favor is, is laughable, given that it all belongs to Him and came from him in the first place. But no, the only way that anyone can escape a sentence to death and health for his or her sins is the way that God himself provides. The way that does not ignore the reality of our impotence and unworthiness, but instead meets it head on. The way of Christ and his cross. Jesus, the very Son of God, came down to earth, giving up the infinite wealth that was His in heaven, and became one of us as the Son of Mary, so that He could live under God's law in our place, obey it in our place, and then, innocently, pay the price for our disobeying it in our place. He did this all with His own suffering and death. This was the only way to remove our guilt and to satisfy God's righteous wrath against our sin. And He did it. Christ's blood washes us clean. And His resurrection on Easter morning proved not only that He had succeeded in defeating our every enemy, sin, death, and Satan, but proved also that eternal life in heaven belongs now to everyone who puts his or her trust in our crucified and risen Savior. So no, do not put your hope for this life or the next in earthly riches or in human effort or any kind of personal merit. Trust instead and only in Christ who gave us the richest gift of all, full salvation from our sins and a home forever with Him in heaven. And there's a bonus. 
The same God who gave his Son to save us also richly supplies us with all things for our enjoyment. Earthly wealth and and distractions cannot truly satisfy our needs. But the Lord not only meets our deepest and greatest needs for cleansing and eternal life, but he also wants us to enjoy the things that he gives us for our earthly lives. And so, Paul tells Timothy, instruct Christians, having abandoned their hope in riches, to instead do good and be rich. Be rich in a different and infinitely better way. Be rich in good works. Love your neighbor. Meet his needs. Help her feed her family. Attend to the sick. Visit the lonely. Honor your parents. Be a good spouse and raise your children well. Uphold marriage and protect life. Speak well of others and put away falsehood. Deal wisely with people and judge with discernment. And in every way, seek to serve others, thinking of their needs ahead of your own. Be generous with what you have been given and willing to share. See, blessings from God are amazing things. The more you spread them to others, the greater they grow. This is perhaps a good time to, to answer the argument that your, your old sinful nature might be making. None of this applies to me. I'm not rich. Well, in the first place, everyone has something. So everyone has something to share. And even if you had nothing, there is still plenty that you have that you can do to love your neighbor. But secondly, consider how many of the things that you take for granted would have been unattainable, unimaginable luxuries just a few generations ago, or still are in many places in the world. Running water in your homes that you can drink without fear of getting sick, and it runs hot or cold. Fresh, nutritious food in every season of the year. Medicine to not only cure diseases that kill, but also to alleviate or eliminate conditions that simply make life uncomfortable. Multiple changes of clothing reliable heat in the winter, and cooling in the summer. Transportation that can take you wherever you might want to go. And the ability to communicate in multiple ways with anyone, anywhere that you might wish to talk to. So face it, by just about any measure that matters, you are wealthy which means that you have plenty of opportunity to be rich in good works. And when we do all this good, when we are rich in this way out of thanks to God and love for others, 
in the power of the gospel that saves us, we build up for ourselves a treasure. Not anything that we can spend like money or silver, but something solid, something lasting, and something of inestimable value. Paul says it is a good foundation for the future, for eternal life. It's not that we are basing our hope of heaven on good works, but that our good works are evidence that heaven is already our home base. And this, Paul says, is that which is truly life. Faith in Jesus, the gospel, Christ's cross, the grace of God, this, this, and the fruits that faith brings forth in us. Service, generosity, kindness, consideration, holiness, compassion. This is the real good life. These are the things that we can look at and say, now this is really living. These are the things that we can look at and say, I want to live like this all the time. These are the things that we can see in other believers' lives and say, that's good living. That's what a Christian looks like. Now, Paul's not quite done here. He gets personal. And he tells Timothy to guard what has been entrusted to him, to guard the faith and knowledge, to guard the truths of Christianity, to, to keep them safe and pure. That means to believe and teach only what the Word of the Lord tells us and to proclaim it all as true and relevant. It also means to turn away from everything else that sets itself up as, as greater or better wisdom, but is really godless and empty, contrary to Scripture and falsely called knowledge. Now, this isn't just the apostle trying to maintain Christianity's brand or something. He reminds Timothy and us that when believers profess what is false, that means that they abandon what is true and veer away from the faith, from the only faith that saves. That's not good. Not for us, not for the church, not for them, not for anyone. And so we will work and pray and pay attention to make sure that neither we nor our congregation nor anyone that we have responsibility for or influence with turns away. That no one turns away from the solid and saving truth of God's Word. Whether they turn to false doctrine or to empty philosophies, or godless politics, or scientism, or whatever. Make sure that no one turns away, and instead, or rather in addition, we will make sure that we always maintain, protect, and promote true knowledge as we find it in the Bible. And this, after all, is how we find and how we keep the good life which is the foundation for our future and for every believer's. This is what it's all about. 
This is the life that we want to have. And it doesn't take tons of money. It starts simply with saving faith in Christ and blessing upon blessing follows from that and good work upon good work follows from us. This is who you are. This is who you are meant to be. And this is what you have been created to do. So yes, Jesus wants you to have the good life. Amen. Please rise. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.